This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band, Humphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where I had the extreme pleasure of chatting with Umphreys McGee percussionist Andy Farag. Andy and I talked about the Atlanta drive-in shows and a little about his perspective of dealing with the weather night too. Andy also talks about being influenced by Carlos Santana and the Beastie Boys. He also talks about his dad's band, Stormy Weather, a doo-wop group formed in 1969. He also shares what he would be doing if he wasn't a touring musician his first order of business when his curls take office as the winner of the Conduit E-Magazine presidential campaign. He was the winner by one vote. Such a close poll. Um, And if you would like to read Andy's acceptance speech and a couple of the questions that we have for him, you can check that out in the November issue of Conduit E-Magazine, hitting emails Monday, November 30th. Um, And if you're not already subscribed to that, check out the link in the show notes to make sure that you start getting that in your emails every month. Andy and I also talked about the new music that Umphreys McGee has been working on. Bayless and Stasic recently talked about new music when they were on the show too. And if you missed those, there's links for how you can watch and listen in the show notes. Andy and I talk about a whole bunch and it was seriously so awesome having the opportunity to chat with him about his history with music and learn some more about him. Thank you so much to Andy. It was such a pleasure having the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. If you haven't given that a listen, I highly suggest you do. There is a link in the show notes where you can check that out. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that could make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit E-Magazine help you get the word out. With ad space in monthly issues of Conduit, commercial spots on the podcast, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, guest spots on the show, and more, Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit can help you reach tons of fellow umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow umph family. 
Email draftamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com or conduitemagazine at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more about the amazing packages we offer. This week, I'm going to be bringing you my full recap of the two nights Umphreys played at the Atlanta Motor Speedway in Hampton, Georgia on September 9th and 10th. There's a lot to get through with these two nights, but before we get into unpacking all of that, Ben Factor was kind enough to answer my questions about the video screen that the band unleashed on the fans during those two nights, dealing with the rain and the Eddie Van Halen tribute. Ben tells us that the venue they played was set up for a total of seven weekends, as he says, so think of it like a real spread out festival which in turn makes for a bigger budget, especially because basically all the other acts are EDM. The rig was designed and managed by Greg Ellis, who tours with Pretty Lights. The band brought in their standard package to combine with the video walls and other fixtures that were already there. Ben says that he has run video only a handful of times, but never this seemingly integrated into his light show. He says it's a little technical to explain, but in short, video content is driven by a different control surface than lighting, and there was a few ways to get the two control surfaces to talk to each other and really be in sync. Greg was gracious to share a lot of the tricks he has picked up over the years with Pretty Lights, and this setup is as close to lighting and video being intertwined as he's come across. All of his lighting programming worked well with the video, And Ben was basically controlling another really complicated, enormous lighting fixture. Ben also shares that the lights that were in the house rig were great too. The ones on the side with five little lights in each are very cool. Each little diode has independent movement capabilities. There are 18 of those times five little cells in each equals 90 beams of independent movement plus all the other lights. It was something like 160 moving headlights. Ben says, but keep in mind 90 of those were in those cool light bar things that he had just described. They're called the Chevette FXB. The triple wide was Ben's favorite part. He programmed the shit out of that song with very specific cues programmed for the video wall and new array of fixtures that they had. He says it was a lot of fun watching the pre-programmed video come to life on the real stage, plus the electronic feel of the tune. It's just asking for a video wall behind it. Ben also mentions that video is expensive, but he has every intention of incorporating it on the bigger shows after the Atlanta experience. Ben was guessing that Umphreys would do something in tribute to Eddie Van Halen, so he curated the video clip in iMovie, just overlaid and faded a bunch of pictures of the Frankenstein guitar design, and it worked perfectly. Ben's response to the torrential downpour on night two, the rain was gnarly, but the show must go on. Thank you so much to Ben for taking the time to answer those questions for me. You can also find a print copy of our conversation in October's issue of Conduit E-Magazine. And like I mentioned before, if you're not receiving that, check out the link in the show notes. And also, Ben Factor was on episode 109 of the podcast, 
really great conversation with him. I highly suggest you give that a listen if you haven't. There's also a link in the show notes where you can give that a listen or watch if you missed it. So let's get into this amazing weekend of music. The Atlanta Motor Speedway in Hampton, Georgia, has hosted the NASCAR Cup Series stock races since 1960. It is on more than 840 acres and is 25 miles south of Atlanta. As Ben mentioned in the piece I just read, the drive-in at the Speedway had other acts play on its stage during the month of October and November, mostly EDM acts. 
Looking at their past events calendar, it seems that Umphreys was the only rock band, jam band, non-EDM music um, that was on their bill. Again, these shows were held in the parking lot of the Speedway. And before we get into it, I will say this. While I understand the feelings about night two and the sense of accomplishment that I'm sure everyone felt at the end, having lived through the tornado warning and the hurricane and the torrential downpour and all of this stuff, and I've said this a hundred times, it's so hard to pick your favorite because it's not like any of it sucked, Um, but for me, just something about set two, night one, was just phenomenal they were just in this pocket and it was just so good night one would blast off with la blitz sliding right into educated guess creepily and haphazardly starting to piece itself together to andy's last beer a very nice and nothing too fancy next getting a very nice sensual build-up as it starts gaining more confidence and fully exploding in slightly before three and a half. Stasic having this kind of heavy underbelly sound as this dances along, running way off and slamming back down to earth about nine minutes, picking itself off, brushing itself off, and slowly dancing on, embodying this sexiness as it continues, beginning to gain momentum about 11 and a half, climbing the mountain and remembering its purpose, building way up, coming back down to earth, driving out and shaking off nothing too fancy for right now, slyly turning the corner and adorning comma later, wandering off and dancing along, soaring way out and spreading its wings, gaining all sorts of height as it continues to fly, building way up, setting its sights on its next destination and tumbling back into nothing too fancy. Personally, I'd consider that sandwich a highlight from the weekend. Cemetery Walk next followed interestingly by Whistle Kids. And I for sure thought that we're going to end the set there or even after that Cemetery Walk. But instead, we they pivot and decided to head into an almost 20-minute utopian adventure to close out the first set. This utopian would feature the debut cover of Van Halen's Ain't Talking About Love, obviously an homage to the recent passing of Eddie Van Halen. As Ben mentioned in the bit I read at the top of the show, the screen showed the Frankenstein design. Stumbling back into utopian, going for a little stroll slightly after four minutes, continuing on getting a little dizzy about 11 minutes before revving itself back up into utopian seductively wandering off one more time slightly before 15 and a half getting a little haphazard as it continues to make its way out getting one more burst of energy about two minutes later and as i mentioned previously that utopian would close out the first set And I just mentioned Eddie Van Halen, and since I did that, I wanted to share some words from Jake about Eddie's influence on him and his passing. This is what Jake had to say. Eddie electrified me at three years old when I was lucky enough to actually have Van Halen's first album. 
I racked that shit in my little room, just like millions of other kids. He changed what was sonically capable at the time. Everything else sounded like Clapton in the rock fields. What really shines about Eddie Van Halen was his genius rhythm playing. Just, Just symphonic and swaggering. So much polyphonic energy. There is no need for any other melody instruments. Gonna take a while for his passing to set in on this musical world. Shout out to Kevin Castles for sharing that. You can also find what Jake had to say about Eddie Van Halen in the October issue of Conduit Magazine that came out on October 30th. And as I mentioned, there's a link in the show notes for that. Also recently, Inside Out podcast with Turner and Seth had Jake on their show talking about how much of an influence Eddie Van Halen was on him. A really great conversation. And when I was listening to it, I was absolutely blown away by the amount of knowledge that Jake had about Eddie Van Halen. Like, I know that Jake has a lot of musical knowledge in his head. Like, that's impressive on its own. The shit that he knows about music and people and bands and albums and songs, and it's just insane. But listening to him talk about Eddie Van Halen the way that he did it blew my mind. Like I was just like, holy shit. I can't believe that this guy knows so much about Van Halen. Um, so definitely check that out. It's really worth your time. If you haven't listened, um, you'll find a link for that in the show notes as well. Set two, which again, I personally felt from top to bottom was a highlight from the entire weekend. Just holy shit (laughs) from beginning to end. Things would get started with Miss Tinkles, sinking into some real funkiness courtesy of Stasic as it dances out slightly before four minutes, Joel getting in on the action a little while later, filling with so much bouncy, just dance your heart out energy, triumphantly marching around the corner and right back into Miss Tinkles, floating sweetly into two by two next, getting all sorts of dark and ominous about seven minutes, heavily trudging along, bubbling and contorting as it builds, engulfing a running-for-your-life vibe slightly before 10 minutes, bursting through a few minutes later into the ending of 2 by 2 floating so delicately and right into that dreamy Bayless solo at the end. Ringo next, going off on a tangent slightly after 2 minutes, sliding back into home and Ringo slightly after five minutes. Joel taking our hand and skipping out as we begin, letting it dance way out and joyfully, sinking into a Mrs. Robinson's strut jam after it wanders out again a little after seven minutes. And while I would love to see how this morphs into its own beast, I do love when it's just peppered in a jam. So hopefully they just kind of leave that be and don't ever actually put it into a song (laughs) letting it idle out in the driveway for a bit about three minutes later putting the brakes on and rounding the corner a minute and a half later shedding its previous skin and stepping into a country honky-tonk vibe as it dances on cooling its heels and sliding back into Ringo beautifully adoring Kimball next Chris making a hilarious crack calling Joel Jolton John after that one. 
I definitely did not catch that during the live stream, so I think it was pretty funny that I could hear that <laughs> listening back. Similar skin next, slinking in slightly after three minutes into an eerie, mystical, Middle Eastern, otherworldly dream. This similar skin jam is nice. Continuing, climbing for a little bit, and then falling back to earth, slinking back along into that jam, gaining momentum about eight minutes. We can hear the buildup back into similar skin. They take a little detour as they make their way back in, stomping back fully into similar skin about nine and a half. I really like that one because of the jam they took us on, a completely different adventure than where we started. Tuck that one onto my 2020 list to remember to give another listen to later on. Eerily floating into In the Kitchen, sounding like the beginning of a 70s progressive rock song, breaking through the fog and revealing the light that is in the kitchen, dancing off early on, slightly after four minutes floating back into In the Kitchen slightly after eight minutes. Bayless almost predicting the future with asking everyone if they're going to be able to stay dry tomorrow in the ending of In the Kitchen. That tune would close out the first night at the Speedway. A quick encore to completely close out the evening with the wait around and the silent type. That version came in at only a little over three minutes. And here's a nice little tidbit for you from Jimmy Rogers, a.k.a. Umfax, on Twitter about night one. This is the first show in UM history in which Nothing Too Fancy, Utopian, Miss Tinkles, 2 by 2 Ringo, and In the Kitchen were all played. All of those tunes debuted in 2002 or earlier. We have to voyage back to September 1st, 2017 at the pageant in St. Louis, Missouri, to find the last time Nothing Too Fancy and Fur appeared in the second set, and the last time Miss Tinkle's 2 by 2 Ringo and In the Kitchen were played in the same set. Never. That's what I'm saying about night one, guys. Like, ugh, night one was rad. (laughs) Jimmy Rogers was a guest on the second episode of the podcast. There is a link in the show notes where you can take a walk down memory lane and give that a listen. There is also a link where you can give Jimmy a follow on Twitter. If you're not, you really should because he always posts the best facts and the greatest random Umphreys trivia. Like I said, there was something about this first night, particularly that second set. It's always hard to choose a favorite because, I mean, it's not like any of this is lacking. So it's always hard to pick a favorite, but set two, night one. That's my choice. I'd love to know what you think. What was your favorite set from the weekend in Atlanta? Feel free to reach out to me or the show and let me know.
All right, so let's get to everything that was night two. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Andy Farag and I talked a little about the experience of night two from his perspective. He mentions that they would have called the show had it not been the last one of the year, and others in the organization have said the same. Stasek told me that it was definitely the most rain that had ever hit their gear. He lost six pedals and a bass jack got fucked. Jake's board had several pedals fried. Joel lost soul keys on his Moog, and Chris had drum problems. Tour manager Robbie Williams had this to say about the evening. We took Ryan's pedal board out of play and went to direct to the amp until set break. The tuner quit working, and we put a new one on, and we were able to get it back, minus his Moog pedals. They were toast, and we didn't have time to troubleshoot. Eventually switched out Brendan's main pedal board for his smaller travel one sometime in the middle of set two. Jake lost one of his amps during set one, but was a simple fix. Wound up being a pedal, he said. Joel had a bunch of black plastic covering his keyboards. I think he lost a key or two on the Moog, but should be fine once it's dry. Robbie says that he's dumped water out of that thing at summer camp and it still worked the next day. That made me laugh because it made me think of all the summer camp rain experiences that I've had. The drummers were spared mostly just a little damp. A lot of the hissing and popping was probably us trying to troubleshoot stuff on the fly and not putting the amps in standby, just checking cables, connections, etc., This was definitely up there as one of the most challenging gigs we've ever done. If it wasn't the last show of the year in the middle of a pandemic, I'm not sure we would have done it. But I'm just one of the guys that sets it up, team effort, to get this one in. And that is exactly why this crew is so damn amazing. I just just have goosebumps, just how amazing they are. And I have to mention Tara Gracer's photos of the evening. I will throw a link to those in the show notes. They're just incredible. As always, Tara's photos are just incredible anyways. But the way that she captured the rain falling down, um, the one that was posted of Joel, it just, wow, just phenomenal. And there's actually one point when I was watching from home where you could see Steve Bridges come out and brooming the water off the stage. Like, that's just insane. I don't, I've never seen anything like that. Like, that was just, wow. But just very 2020, huh? (laughs) The rain delay would cause the show to start two hours late, but they were able to have the hard curfew lifted and play until midnight. Like I mentioned my feelings before about my favorite set, obviously we have to say that there was no doubt these guys were going to play their balls off because of everything that's happened so far. I mean, that was going to be the case even if it was a beautiful evening because this was the last show in front of an audience until who the fuck knows when. But because of everything that happened leading up to the evening, the determination that they were playing with just oozed off of them, heavier than the rain. Joel shared the original game plan, how they were planning to play the evening had there not been a hurricane, a delay, and technical difficulties. I will link uh, to the post in the show notes so you can take a look for yourself, 
but this is what was on the original set list. And some of this, you know, they did play. Bathing Digits, Rocker 2, Draconin, All in Time, Mulches, Night Nurse, Wife Soup, The Triple Wide, Eruption by Eddie Van Halen, and Glory. Set 2 was going to be Spires, and I'm definitely butthurt about not getting that one. Cut the Cable, Phil's Farm, Higgins, Cemetery Walk 2, Much Obliged, End of All in Time, 40s, and then the encore of Snucka into August into Snucka Part 3. Wow. So now to what actually went down with the set list. Finally getting the night started with No Crying in Mexico, sliding right into Rocker Part 2, wandering off slightly after four and a half. You can definitely hear the rain and the issues starting to take place afterwards. That tune. Draconin next, getting into the depths of it slightly after five minutes. I really enjoyed being nice and nice and nestled into that one. Just damn. Seriously, <laughs> beginning to round the corner and find light slightly after nine minutes. So joyful and hopeful dancing along. Definitely teared up a little here in this jam watching at home. Honestly, it just really hit the spot. And then we just slide right into those lyrics. Yes, Draconin has done it once again. And I know I'm probably saying that wrong every single time I say it, but fuck it, whatever. (laughs) Even listening back, this one just hits it all exactly right. We all really needed that one. We really did. This one for sure found a spot on my 2020 list. All in time next, Chris defiantly stomping off slightly before three minutes, charging off full of authority, continuing on and rounding the corner a little over two minutes later, embodying a totally different element as it dances on, deciding to leave all in time behind for now, dancing around for a little bit, feeling like it's remembering some lost determination, gaining energy and driving headfirst into Malchais. Jake would have some technical difficulties early on about one minute in. You can just hear everything frying and sizzling. (laughs) The crew taking care of business and getting shit handled. Jake coming back slightly after three minutes with the second verse sinking deep into the jam slightly before five and a half, enveloping itself in a softer, gentler vibe for a little bit, gathering energy with its sights on heading back into Malchaise. It's so crazy to hear them just raging the hell out of this and then also hearing everything just frying and sizzling. It's just like all this energy. It's, It's insane. Night Nurse next, cooling its heels slightly before seven and a half, floating out, abruptly opening up and revealing Wife Soup. This tune would close out the first set. And as Bela says before they walk off, they need to figure some shit out to make it right for us. Just another reason why I love this band so much. Set two would start with Bela saying, we're not going to do you like that. You guys earned this. You deserve it. So, of course, that gets everybody nice and excited. Getting it kicked off with 40s theme, very easily slipping into something a little more comfortable, slightly after four minutes, 
stepping into a little Bayless lead jam as we continue to dance on a little before six and a half, fully bursting through about two minutes later, gaining momentum and driving right into the end of 40s, making things dancey AF right off the bat with the next one, sliding right into the triple wide, wandering way out into outer space, courtesy of Joel about three minutes, really getting into the depths of it about a minute later, enjoying a really nice stroll around the block, stomping its way back into triple wide about 10 minutes. This one I also tucked away on my 2020 comeback to slash in case they do a Hall of Fame next year list. (laughs) While there has certainly been more massive triple wides in the past, no doubt, I just enjoy where they took that one. It comes in in a little over 10 minutes, which sounds like a long time, you know, for other songs. But when we're talking about a song like the Triple Wide that has enjoyed a longer adventure, this one deserves a listen for what they did with their time. Cooling things off with Haji next, which some have said, and I definitely agree with, becoming the unofficial song about COVID. That one always hits in the feels anyway, but especially now. Going on a little honky-tonk detour before taking us on the next adventure. A very, very nice Phil's sandwich. Slipping down the rabbit hole slightly before three and a half. And sinking into a little bit of comfortable vibe slightly before seven and a half. And then so very smoothly sliding into I Heard It From The Grapevine by Bill Frissle. Played a total of 12 times, including this time here, last played January 12th, 2019 at the National in Richmond, Virginia, continuing to very sensually dance along, unveiling a very sexy and funky version of Glory. Um, I recently did a Halloween show uh, with Jake, and we got a treat during that private show. Um, with Glory, and it's very cool to see what he has been up to with experimenting with that song and, you know, seeing how it's grown in new ways. Um, I will definitely be bringing you guys a full scoop of the whole amazing, mind-blowing Halloween private Jake show experience, so make sure you keep your eyes out for that because that was an incredible evening. Easily embodying fills again to complete this delicious sandwich. That one also 100% deserves more listens. Brendan making mention of Jake's taco socks, calling them his not fucking around socks before we head into the next tune, Higgins. Getting into it slightly before three and a half, enjoying a nice little dance around the block. Rounding the corner about three minutes later, Trudging along for a little bit, beginning to steer this into a different direction a few minutes later and setting its sights on the sky, building up all sorts of energy, nose diving and sliding back into Higgins about 10 minutes, closing out the second set of the second night in Atlanta with a nice little dance party, courtesy of Cemetery Walk 2. This one would change its mood slightly after four minutes, having some aggression to it, getting the last of it out, slamming and dancing right back into Chem Walk 2 slightly after eight minutes. 
And as I mentioned, this tune would close out the second set of the second evening in Atlanta. And Encore would explode with a 316 and eruption by Eddie Van Halen tease before heading into the ending of All in Time. During that Van Halen tease, we would be treated one more time to the Frankenstein design on the video screens debuted the night before and that I chatted about earlier in the episode. So yeah, wow, that was a lot. It was quite a weekend of music. It was quite an episode. Thank you so much for listening to all of that. It was incredible to listen back to and review and and bring to you guys. There are a ton of links in the show notes for all the things I referenced throughout this entire episode where you can binge on past shows, book a conversation, and be a guest on DATC, shop the new Etsy store and snag some merch, subscribe to Conduit E-Magazine, and so much more. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you so, so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love. <laughs>